May our grace, mercy, and peace be to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Tonight, uh, we focus on the commandment of thou shalt not commit adultery, and we continue uh, this week in the theme of uh, the wounds that we inflict upon Jesus. The story of Jesus dining at a table with tax collectors and sinners is honestly not just unique to Matthew. You can find it in the first three Gospels. And each one has a slight variation to it, and those variations are important to the message of each one of those Gospels. But the point in the context in each Gospel account is the same. Jesus sits at a table with outcasts and sinners. Jesus, our Jesus, this holy Jesus, sits with broken people. And guess what? He's not ashamed about it either. He delights in these things. This is a powerful story at the very heart of our gospel lesson about how we are all welcomed and embraced in spite of the truth of our sins. Later in Matthew's gospel account in chapter 21, Jesus will speak about how tax collectors and prostitutes, because of their faith in him, will enter the kingdom of heaven ahead of others who are self-righteous. And in Luke's account, in Luke chapter 7, we hear of Jesus' intimate account with a sinful woman at the home of a Pharisee of all people, where she washes his feet with her tears and wipes his feet dry with her hair. And needless to say, the eyebrows of Jesus' critics are raised, and criticism abounds even more so. But Jesus sees this as an act of love and speaks words of endearing forgiveness to her. And then in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 8, we hear a story of a woman who was caught in adultery and surrounded by Pharisees and chief priests accusing her. And what does Jesus do? He defends her above her critics. Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her, Jesus says. Guess what happens? All of them left. And the woman was alone with Jesus. And then Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And what did she say back? Not one, sir. And Jesus said, Well, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And from now on, do not sin again. Jesus, this holy Jesus, doing these kinds of things, makes the holy of the holy of the earthly people cringe, doesn't it? You see the Pharisees getting all upset. You see other people who are high up in the Jewish echelon looking down upon those things. But where would you and I be had Jesus not spent his time with broken people? Tax collectors and sinners were despised both socially and religiously. The impurity of Jesus' association with them would not go unnoticed. But The legalism, on the other hand, of those who criticize such association can still be, I don't know, found in the church even today. When the the congregation at hand, and I'm not talking about us, I'm talking about in general in the Christian church, is sometimes cold and uninviting to those who do not seem to fit in with the general population. Such behavior then is counter to the truth of Jesus' mercy by which we have all been accepted and loved by the grace, even though we don't deserve it. For even the religiously faithful who shun the sin of adultery 
Jesus broadens this commandment to include lust in our hearts. Such covetousness leads us away from the kingdom of heaven. And honestly, it leads us right down a path of being swamped and misguided, I don't know, attractions, per se. Being seduced by the ways of the world. Take David and Bathsheba as an illustration. What was the first sin of David? It was his covetous desire for Bathsheba. Everything else that followed, his adultery, Bathsheba's pregnancy, attempts to conceal what David had done, seeing to the death of Bathsheba's husband Uriah out on the battlefield, and then taking Bathsheba as his own wife. It was all rooted from the first time that David saw beautiful Bathsheba bathing in the moonlight on a rooftop. And then David himself would be confronted about his sin by the prophet Nathan. And David would repent deeply for his wrong, though even after his repentance, sadly and tragically, David's son, the child that Bathsheba had conceived, would later die. But later, guess what would happen? She would conceive and give birth to, of all people, Solomon. The opening of the gospel, according to Matthew, also notes this, but it doesn't leave out the detail of David's scandal. It says in Matthew 1.6, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. So even though David was forgiven of his sin, even all these generations later, God's going to make it known. God's going to make it known that sin is and pervades everybody's life. No matter what good we do, we still are sinners in our lives. And it right pointly, rightly points to the fact that we're adulterers. And I'll get to that in a minute, because what's the first thing you think of when you hear the word adultery? Oh, I'm being unfaithful to my spouse. But adultery is so much deeper than that. If you remember back in the day, and when I mean back in the day, I'm talking about back in the 80s and 90s, that, that great televangelist... Uh, uh, what was his name? Jim Baker. Remember all the news stories about him and his unfaithfulness and all that? Well, I remember hearing a news account right about 89, 1990, somewhere in there when he was in prison. He had gone from making all these millions of dollars with PTL and all that to earning 11 cents an hour scrubbing toilets in the state penitentiary. Well, actually, in his case, it was the federal penitentiary. Well, all that money he was earning at 11 cents an hour scrubbing toilets, the judge then came down in this news article and said that all that money he was earning in prison was going to have to go back towards paying down the penalties he owed on $500,000 of his financial improprieties. Do the math. It's a lot of scrubbing of toilets, a lot of hours put in, right? Here's the point to it all, but though, here was a man that once had it all. And because of an act of adultery, his entire empire came crashing down around him. There are other meanings of adultery in Scripture that hold the people of God accountable for sure. Hosea, there's another great example. Hosea the prophet was instructed to marry a prostitute of all people and a woman of adultery in order to symbolize the depth of Israel's own chasing after other gods. How much have we all missed the mark when we have pursued other gods in our lives in both word and deed and have left the kingdom of heaven in our peripheral vision 
at best, if not behind us. You know, since Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride, just how much adultery has mankind committed over the course of history as we've been seduced by the ways of the world? We can't justify ourselves, and we, cert can't, we certainly cannot justify our actions. Luther's last words were, we are all beggars, and they just may have well have been, we are all adulterers. Still, it's not our own acts of repentance for our adulteries, however warranted such a response is, that finally overcomes the evil or the scandal in our lives. But repentance is the fruit of the incredible grace of Christ who takes the sin of our offenses onto himself on the cross. Luther noted this in one of his most profound uh, expositions of the gospel. Christ takes the sins of all humanity into himself, including those of David the adulterer, whom Luther explicitly mentions, and bears him to the cross in death. But we... We are all purged from all sin, death, and every evil by Christ's cleansing and righteousness. And if any remnants of sin were to remain, Luther says, still for the sake of Christ, the shining sun, God would not notice them. What we get to celebrate is that Jesus' association with even the lowliest of people, even the lowliest of outcasts, what that means for us and for all people is that there are no bounds to God's grace. By Christ's wounds on the cross, there is a wholeness of healing that no one gets left out of the mercy of God. And no one is an outcast from God's love because God's love is so sufficient, it's enough to cover even that of an adulterer. And to God be all the glory. Amen.